0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member fdsc
1: maryland sports fans there's only one sports book in the great state of maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers betfred sportsbook at long shots is now open and is the only sportsbook in frederick offering cash betting on football basketball world soccer and more visit the betfred sportsbook at i270 and md85 in frederick right next to Longshots off track betting go to betfredsports.com for more information and your- your Your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.
2: Hey, guys. It's LD, TJ2 the Deuce, and Will the Thrill with a small parental warning for this episode.
3: So there are some subjects in this episode that are probably not appropriate for the little ears. We are going to use some harsh language and discuss things like drug use and drug addiction. Those sensitive to those topics may want to avoid this one and also cover up those little ears.
2: There's a few other trigger warnings as well, such as abuse and suicide. So please, guys, just take care of listening to this episode.
4: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD Will the Thrill and TJ2. <coughs>
2: Guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ to the deuce. Sounded a little. Sound uh... sounded like you're taking your pants off.
1: <laughs> Maybe I am.
2: <laughs> Which, if
3: you are, you know, that's
1: fine. I
2: mean, it's Sunday. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> and our storyteller, Mr will the thrill hickey I,
3: I did like a presenter i thought that was a very
2: uh oh, okay. very good. oh no no, so, no it's fine I'm sorry do you want me to it no, back? no, no it's, fine.
3: it's very that's very british which yeah, is, what, is what you said and i've been ruminating on it. it's kind of interesting but uh,
2: uh so we don't have any anything to talk about except for um 20
3: with, years of whitney houston yeah
2: we, we <laughs> uh we covered three years last week of whitney houston <laughs> and this year we're going to be covering 20 so yeah you know, we're really good at pacing these things, guys. I,
3: I had an arc, and it kind of went out the window. Uh.
2: We did watch a couple yeah. movies. We, we did watch a couple of films that were um are, are streaming. We're going to watch uh, the In the Heights movie tonight. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we just watched uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I like horror films, but you know it's not a, a terribly wonderful horror film if I fall asleep to it. And I did. Yeah. So... But, That's, that was our story for the week, guys. Thanks. Woo. I don't
3: okay. think we have any deaths to cover, correct? I don't
2: think we do.
3: None that I've heard of, no. All right. good, yeah. good week, then. Then
2: it's a good week for yeah. us. It, it's yeah. a good week.
3: We don't have potential subjects for our podcast.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> So, here is a big one. And I got to admit, I have been putting this one off for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is just the sheer amount of content. I know we said this before during our uh, 72 part retrospective on David Bowie that it's impossible to cover the entire life of the, these people. Yeah, it's I mean, just, you we discovered
2: that when we were yeah. doing the 168 part uh, uh, series on David Bowie. We discovered that.
3: Yeah. So uh, I've tried my best to pick out the highlights and in this case the the low lights and that's part of the reason why I've been putting this off is because we're getting into a largely dark portion of Whitney Houston's life. I, I do think some of it TJ is going to border on Rick James level of bonkers but not Oh wow. not quite get there.
1: I still does she does she, she poop out crack and then smoke it like Rick does? Or? No, no, no. Sadly, sadly okay. there's
3: crack involved but not uh, not on that did level.
1: she um did she do acid and uh, try to go to disney world with a member of the doors
3: like no three? no okay no.
1: so so really it's not quite as crazy as <laughs> no it's
3: not quite as crazy it's well, still pretty it's... bonkers yeah yeah there's gonna be some stuff and maybe some of you already know it and then and this is where i think my job as a presenter is to, again, present the facts, show you what's going on here, and let you draw your own conclusions. Because I think many people of the current generation probably know more about this part of Whitney Houston's life than the one that we know. You know, growing up with her in the 80s and the 90s, her being an international superstar. I think, unfortunately, now the stigma is that of the reality shows and the, you know, Yeah, sure. and all that. Sure. And I want to say, uh, at the end of part four, we left off with
1: the Bodyguard soundtrack, with a a Bodyguard movie being released. Yes, sir. And the soundtrack being a a mammoth smash, sold 45 million copies, I Will Always Love You, 10-week number one, I think that's about where we left off. It is, yes. And and, uh, and I'll say, and and unfortunately, it feels like we start to go downhill from there.
3: Yeah, we, we hit a zenith and uh, we're gonna come down from that zenith. It's gonna be kind of like a roller coaster. The initial drop won't feel as big, but then the momentum picks up and it just kind of carries through. Uh, and so we also, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, because thus far, um, the, the biggest downer
1: was, and then she put out of her third album and it only went quadruple platinum.
3: I know, push all.
1: yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's literally the lowest low spot we've hit. And we obviously go down a cons- considerable ways from there. So. Yes,
3: indeed. And uh, we also left off with, of course, her marriage to Bobby Brown, which is going to be a large subject of this particular episode. And it's some that later have compared to the union of Greg Ullman and Cher and John Lennon and Yoko Ono.
2: Also, um, if you guys noticed what the picture was for our posting last week, I know that Whitney Houston's dress cost Mm $40,000, but holy crap, what was on her head? Oh, the wedding dress? That was so weird. What was peculiar. It was.
1: I think. Uh, I would say. I think Bobby and Whitney were married a little longer than Greg and Cher were. Um,
3: just a tad,
1: yes. Then their was not their union something like seventy two hours or something.
2: I think the, was, the winner for the the shortest uh, wedding was actually Jason Alexander and Britney Spears. Did that actually? Oh, that was right. You're right. Yeah, yeah it, it was like happened. It was like 24 hours. It was something yeah. like 17 hours. I don't think it, and, I don't think. It, and not the star of Seinfeld, Jason. Alexander. No, yes, I star do was, want to clarify star, that the star of Seinfeld is just like a friend of hers from school named Jason Alexander. So yeah.
3: Uh, but yeah, Greg and all. Greg and I'm going to share were maybe a week, maybe. <laughs> you ever, you ever heard
1: uh, Greg looking back on his life and uh, advice for people?
3: Uh, I want to say yes. I think this was lampooned in Family Guy. What one of what one
1: of the things he said was, yeah, you know, I did a lot of drugs and married a chick named Cher.
3: I don't recommend either one of them. Yeah, I don't recommend either of them. Well, we're going to get more into Whitney's union with Bobby Brown. And again, this is something I have must admit I have put off a bit. So I'm going to pay the price for my own procrastination here. And we are going to cover the final 20 years of Whitney Houston's life. Here we go but let's revisit that that pinnacle for a minute let's let's just sit in the sun for a while and enjoy the bodyguard the music the film that was so great and how it was largely considered shall we say controversial due to the presence of a mixed race couple Kevin Costner Whitney Houston which again odd considering the original script was written for Steve McQueen and Diana Ross when asked about this particular aspect Whitney Houston said it very succinctly I don't think it's a milestone that a Black person and a white person made a movie together. I think people view this as a colorblind milestone, but the Black community sees it as something larger. Black women were telling me this is something we've been waiting for, someone to kick down the door to play those roles. So Whitney is going to continue that. In March of 1993, Whitney Houston became a mother. Now, last week we discussed the unfortunate miscarriage that she suffered on the set of The Bodyguard. Um, She and Bobby would actually welcome their first and only child, a daughter named Bobby Christina Houston Brown on March 4th, 1993. One year after that, Whitney and Bobby released a duet together, and that's gonna be the first song that we're gonna share with you today. This one actually comes from one of Bobby Brown's albums, not Whitney's, but it is a duet with the two of them. in many ways it's reflective of their relationship at that time so here it is from 1993 bobby brown and whitney houston with something in common
5: yeah
4: (laughs) got it yeah come on this was dedicated to those who don't believe in real love especially our love
1: Yeah, that was absolutely time
3: stamped as 1993.
1: (laughs) That can
2: only exist. Couldn't be anywhere else.
3: And it was, as TJ, you pointed out, this one is on the same album as Humping Around, uh, another classic uh, from Bobby Brown's Remixes in the Key of B from 1993. Okay. Now, Whitney took some time off from performing and touring and doing all of her things to spend time with her daughter, Bobby Christina. However, she did return to performing in June of '93. So we're talking, you know, a few months, not a very long time, if you think about it. And yeah,
1: then, like three three months, I think. Three
3: months, give or take, yeah. Yeah. And it was early June, mind you. So this is about the time when several rumors started to swell. One of them was actually perpetuated in a story that was retracted by the New York Post many people saw Whitney on stage and thought she's so thin she's so thin how can this be well they instantly assumed it was drugs in fact the story that the New York Post ran with was that she was ODing on diet pills went to the hospital but the whole story was squashed and the post had to retract it or face a massive lawsuit um which brings us to our, our fun fact LD that you know fun, fun fact that uh, who founded the New York Post
2: that's alexander hamilton That's alexander hamilton
3: founder of the new york post so these this is just one of the many rumors that we're going to get into and some of them may pan out some of them may not but really the press just became ravenous over the next decade following whitney houston this is also the point where those around her started to notice her voice was not quite what it used to be the high notes were a little strained the quality was a little iffy She would crack here and there, so it's starting to unravel, but but not quite yet. Because in 1994, Whitney still had an incredible year. In 1994 at the NAACP Image Awards, Whitney Houston won an Entertainer of the Year along with awards for Outstanding Music Video and Outstanding Female Artist. In addition, she took home five, count them, five more AMAs. So she's still cleaning up, and when she accepted her AMA, many people remember this. She went to the stage with Bobby Christina in her arms and she was weeping. She was happy. collecting mm-hmm. It's a, still a very, very high note for, for Whitney Houston. She even earned a Brit Award and another series of Soul Train Awards, which takes us well into the middle of 1994, where her film career is going to start to go to the next level. Now, if you'll remember, I mentioned this last week. She was contracted to do a made-for-TV remake of Cinderella. That's still coming down the pike, but all of this is going to be preempted by a film I think many people know, and that is Waiting to Exhale. L.D., you know this one? I love
2: mm-hmm. this movie so much. <laughs> yes. Well, yep, and the song is awesome. Oh, we're, we are going to play the song, by the okay, way. Okay, I didn't want we'll we, to on No, on you, you know, it's right there. Okay. I put it on there. Okay. Uh, Whitney Houston was actually
3: selected to do the starring role in the film, and in many ways, I think you'll find this is the case, LD, this film was almost a precursor to what Black Panther was for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Black Panther, as many know, featured an all-black cast, all-black crew, and this film was also an all-black cast and an all-black team. The director was Forrest Whitaker.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize he directed it. He that. directed it. Huh. And
3: Whitney Houston starred alongside great names. We have Loretta Devine. Layla Rochon and one of my personal favorites Angela Bassett yeah who uh, was also in Black Panther yep
1: <laughs> yeah. eat the cake anime <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah Angela I Bassett do believe she just set the car on fire while walking away from <sighs> yes she that, does and okay with that oh that is a man gift. that that's is, that is a gift that keeps on giving
3: now this is the song that we have to play or else or
2: a gif that keeps Jif, on.
3: Jif, Is it GIF now? I don't know what it is. I feel like it changes every week. Whatever. <laughs> now, many of you may have heard this song, but as LD pointed out, it is worth playing. The title song for the film, Exhale Shoop Shoop, was actually written by Babyface and released as a single in 1995. It went to number one in the US and debuted at number 11 in Britain. And with this single, Whitney was put yet again into a very distinct pantheon of musicians. Uh, as far as number one releases she was actually tied at this point with madonna who had 11 the supremes had 12 elvis presley had 17 and the beatles were the record holders with 20 so she's now up in that league yeah not a bad place to be well it's
2: because she's insanely talented
3: just yeah maddeningly talented just absolutely nuts. So let's let the song do the talking here. We are going with the title track from Waiting to Exhale. This is from the 1985 film Exhale, Shoop Shoop.
0: Everyone falls In love Sometimes Sometimes it's Wrong Sometimes it's
5: right
0: For Every win, Someone Must fail there comes a point when, when we exhale, yeah, yeah, say-
2: All right. i love that song and i love that movie it's a
1: really yeah it's a a really good song and i'm sitting here thinking you know will and ld that's about the last hit of whitney's that i remember there being
3: well there are a few other things that are going to pop up i I think because there is the soundtrack for the preacher's wife which is going to come up in a little bit right Um, i I mean nothing is going to hit the level of the bodyguard though we've gone gone over that hill Um, that's,
1: that's one of the last big ones that i actually remember Oh, to yeah. Be honest with
3: you. And it's a memorable song. And let's not forget that soundtrack was just stacked. I mean, it was Whitney, Aretha Franklin, Patti LaBelle, Tony Braxton, Shaka Khan. I mean, that whole soundtrack is just,
2: it's dynamite. Here's the thing Tony Braxton should definitely work Braxton. more than, like, she should have more than she has. She is an incredible vocalist. She is insane. And even if she has like 30 Grammys, give her 50. That yeah. woman is incredible. She's fantastic.
3: Some other songs on the soundtrack included the single for Count Me In, which was actually a duet with her wedding attendant and famed gospel singer CeCe Winans. Another one was Hurts So Bad. That soundtrack would actually win Best Album of the Year at the NAACP awards, and that song, Exhale Shoop Shoop, took home Song of the Year. Mm -hmm. The film was released for the holiday season in 1995. It was largely marketed as a romantic comedy, for the most part but it overlooked that it was really marketed towards a Black audience and Black women. And that sort of springboards off the comment that Whitney made earlier, that she was sort of kicking down the door and paving the way for these types of roles and these types of films. And in many ways, the reception that this film got was similar to The Bodyguard, but it had some, some more additives to it, namely by my favorite film critic and unabashed fan of Whitney Houston as a performer, Roger Ebert who continued to write positive things about her, and he wrote this one in the Chicago Sun-Times. These are not real women so much as fictional creations carefully designed to embody dreams and desires. Many women in the audience will be happy to be like any of them. This movie works. I was never bored. The film's patron saint could be Mae West, who wanted more men in her life and more life in her men. It's a great Mae
1: West illusion there. Yeah, for so this to be a music podcast, Roger Ebert comes up an
3: outsized number of times. <laughs> well, it was interesting because reading all the criticisms about Whitney, especially in her her acting roles, it was all the same. It was like she looks great, she's a wonderful singer, her performance is yeah. You know, Roger Ebert brought something else to the table, and he was a fan of hers. And yeah, he really will be for her. But he, he seems to have come up an odd number of times. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. in the last year because he was um he was in the john prine episode i know i remember and it seems mm-hmm. like
3: maybe he popped up in the bowie episode at some point that would that would track and i think also in the adam Yauch episode if i'm not mistaken
1: yeah i i think you're right it's just that's that's an odd i mean there are a few standard bears who come up every week i'm not gonna you know I, sure. I assume you have one written in i'm not gonna say it but <laughs> there's, there's he shows up an odd number of times to be a film critic for us doing well, a music podcast well, I
2: think uh, guys ladies and gentlemen we have a late edition breaking news breaking news oh no actor ned Beatty has passed away
3: what whoa yeah ned Beatty. How old ned Beatty. As, as, as
1: we're as we're recording here on um on sunday evening oh that's terrible my wife has never seen deliverance
2: I, oh wow no i've never seen deliverance He's you
1: serious oh oh you've never seen you've never seen deliverance he no, cause,
2: surprise. Because Jeff Foxworthy said something about if uh, if Ned Beatty can't do it, there's no way I can. Huh. He was talking about going through the, the the river in Deliverance or something. Well, well, first
1: of all, he was a, he was a really good actor, and he he was he did a lot more than Deliverance. But oh, um, but you should you you really should see Deliverance.
2: Well, he was in Superman. <laughs> he yeah.
1: was. He's oh he was in a ton of stuff. I bet if you started reading off his credits, I bet it would take us an hour. Oh, he's geez. been in he's been in a million 1000000 movies and tv shows he's great and everything i've ever seen him in but you really need to see deliverance if you haven't seen it because that is the most disturbing thing i've ever seen in my life
3: it's pretty uh pretty frightening it's
1: it's i mean it's turned into this pop culture it's almost it's almost a a throwaway joke now but it's like yeah if you actually watch it it's really disturbing and it think, really is. I think
3: the pop culture references are almost trying to take the sting out of it because when you see it, it's it's raw.
2: Oh my gosh, he was ugh. also in *Reeves*, which was a, a which was the uh, like spoof movie starring Leslie Nielsen and Linda right. Blair.
1: Yeah, there there was um the the kid that played the banjo in *Deliverance*. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the thrills that you've actually seen it, I presume, and LD oh. hasn't. He was actually interviewed about how accurate the movie was because I think I think that he was actually from the swamps down of, okay. in georgia and florida and uh he said well it was uh it was actually it was pretty on on the money i mean set set for the corn holing <laughs> he's <laughs> calling it like yeah. it is i guess
2: well that's uh sorry to sorry to interrupt yeah. this but he is not he's not a musician but no. you
1: know no but he's a beloved he's a beloved actor and beloved and, and, and yeah. again and great in everything he's ever been in that i've ever seen yeah. absolutely yeah
3: and just jumping back to the point about you know roger ebert and bringing in people you know who or in the film world, I think when you have a heavy heavy hitter, that's bound to happen because they often go outside of the world of music. They go into film, they go into television, you know, Bowie did, well, virtually everything. So to have Roger Ebert comment on them, I think in this type of series is going to be more common. Sure. Yeah. So 95, good year so far. However, there were rumors circulating that Bobby and Whitney were splitting up. So Let's just slash. Let's flash over to Bobby Brown and see what he was up to in the early '90s. Well, he did release the single, TJ, as you put it, "Humping Around," and actually came out in July of '92 before the album. The working title of the song wasn't quite so radio friendly. Oh, can I leave it at that? I
1: can't. I'm was not...
3: it a uh, Was it Dancing Days? Because that's
1: ah, pretty... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and when you pointed that out, it's all I could is hear. It it, it, it's boots. it is. It is, if you've ever, if you've ever, if you've never listened to it, go listen to Humping Around, mm-hmm. and I think we can all figure out what the working title was. <laughs> um, yeah. The not radio-friendly one. And then go listen to Dancing Days by Led Zeppelin. Yeah, and, hold on. <laughs> yeah.
2: Will the thrill, I hate to interrupt, but we do need to take a short break for our sponsors, and we will be right back.
6: By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot.
2: all right let's get back to
3: Whitney Houston now it's interesting because that song was and that album was produced by LA Reed and Babyface Mm -hmm. so it was a similar team that Whitney had worked with or was working with and it was actually recorded in like I said 1990 it came out in 93 and it actually went to number three on the Billboard Hot 100 so it was well received in April of 1992 Bobby is pulled over in Whitney's Porsche driving without insurance this is one of his more minor offenses Two years later, he's arrested for attacking somebody in an Orlando nightclub. Great. One year after that, he's charged with a misdemeanor when he, quote, kicked a security guard at a friend's party in West Hollywood. This all came to a head in 95 in a situation involving a real-life bodyguard where Brown's bodyguard, Stephen Seeley, was murdered outside a bar in Roxbury, according to... Oh, wow. Yeah. He and Brown were leaving the bar, an unidentified assailant just runs up and opens fire on them. Stephen Seeley is dead. Now, I'm sure this led to a lot of questions from Whitney about the man she married, and what happened was essentially a trial separation. The supposition was that Bobby's behavior was a bit dangerous. They had a family. You know, they're going to see how this is going to go. Also, there were sources that, well, while Bobby Brown was on tour, uh, let's just say the term humping around is quite quite appropriate. Uh, Yeah. He was not known for being faithful to Whitney Houston. Nonetheless, she stood by him, even when in 1995, Bobby Brown was pulled over for a DUI in Atlanta. And at the time of the arrest, there was an unnamed woman in the car. Wasn't Whitney Houston, I can tell you that. Uh, But that arrest was actually one that would particularly, that would have repercussions for years to come, because it involves parole terms and bail, and we're going to get into that when Whitney would respond to questions in the press about Bobby's bad behavior, her responses would differ. In some cases, she would say things that were ostensibly, it's none of your business. Our problems are our own. She was trying to keep up this public image, but the good girl image was getting tarnished real fast. And in one case, she actually said, I don't take much S word as I used to. If that makes me a bitch, then so be it. If the shoe fits, wear it.
2: I love that you, you, leaped out the s word and then just called her a bitch okay well i could probably (laughs)
1: no this is her quote i'm reading her quote quote. there's one thing i want to one thing i want to throw in real quick uh will thrill yeah last week i said there was a definitive moment when her the the the, the wholesome america sweetheart girl next door image of whitney Mm -hmm. was dinged in my mind and then we we never actually got to it probably because i was drinking but i forgot I'll tell you when it was, there was a a certain point. I'm sure we could Google it and figure out exactly when it was when she was interviewed by playboy Mm -hmm. and you did, you know, you always had the the playboy interview because of course I I only looked at it for the, the articles as one does. Um, Right. It was the centerpiece interview where they had the like three pictures of the person and you know, with their faces, you know, with different expressions and gestures and stuff, but it was the lengthy interview and I actually read some of it and like her language was filthy. (laughs) it's it, it, funny thing and, was, I, and I don't, I don't remember exactly what year this was. Probably early '90s, but she's dropping f bombs and all this stuff, and I was like,
5: "Oh,
1: I, I didn't think Whitney talked that way."
5: Yeah, <laughs> but That's about.
1: That's really about when I was like, "Oh, you know, maybe she's actually a, you know, a real person and not this Barbie doll that I've <laughs> envisioned her as being."
3: Yeah, it really started actually a few years prior. There were some interviews she gave, particularly when folks would ask about her sexuality, and she'd say it's none of your effing business. Uh, so that was actually even before that playboy interview that she did now i can certainly see where you're coming from and in fact many close to whitney said that whole thing was a bad idea because if you remember they were against her doing the song um saving all my love for you because of the subject matter so for her to do a a piece of playboy was definitely not you know sanctioned by the
2: right i think i think kind of what okay this might not be like the greatest analogy but i feel like whitney suffers from the disney kid Syndrome.
3: I could see that. Yeah. Squeaky clean. Yeah. And...
2: Like, you know, like look at like people like Brittany, who's mm-hmm. had some issues in the past, and, you know, the, the Miley that goes, you know, full nude on a wrecking ball and, and stuff like that. So they try to like break through with, they like to separate themselves from what they were when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And they feel like the only way they can do that is, you know, dressing wildly, or cursing, and like, you know, there there are ways that people try to break out of that mold. And then there are some people that are trying to keep that mold together. But what's happening inside is kind of breaking out of its own.
3: Yeah, and well, one thing we can say about Bobby Brown is he's pretty consistent throughout this whole thing, um, yeah. as we will as we will highlight in the, the months and years ahead. So, after the success of Waiting to Exhale, Whitney was offered another role in The Preacher's Wife. Now, this was adapted from the original film from 1947, The Bishop's Wife, starring Cary Grant. And the cast included Denzel Washington, Loretta Devine, Courtney B. Vance. Hey,
2: I yeah. love Courtney B. Vance.
3: The late Gregory Hines. Oh, Again, great talent there. Yeah. And, of course, Whitney Houston. The film was directed by none other than the late, great Penny Marshall. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah, of
3: course, she was Laverne, she directed Big, A League of Their Own, and we sadly lost her in 2018. The Preacher's Wife was released in December of 1996, just five months after Bobby Brown totals Whitney's car. He's driving in Florida, he totally wrecks the Porsche. The interesting thing is that the police didn't document his level of sobriety. So for some reason that was left out of the report, yeah, very, very strange. Uh, Nonetheless, The Preacher's Wife grossed over $48 in the U.S., and Roger Ebert raves about it. His review of The Preacher's Wife is, It is a sweet and good-hearted comedy about the holiday season. I find myself enjoying it for the simple and real pleasures for Denzel Washington and The Way Whitney Houston Sings. He's just a big Whitney fan. I love it. So much fun to hear. Now, the soundtrack was the centerpiece. The interesting thing about this soundtrack is it was actually marketed as a gospel record and actually achieved some fame as a gospel album. But it does include several elements that are outside the sphere of gospel, including the song written by none other than Annie Lennox, Step by Step. Ooh. Yeah, it was performed by Whitney, but Annie Lennox actually wrote it. Several of the gospel songs that we heard on the album were, from, were with Whitney Houston backed by the Georgia Mass Choir, which included I Love the Lord, Hold On, Help Is On The Way, and I Go To The Rock. And it was at Whitney's behest, there was also another duet with her husband Bobby that was, was entitled Somebody Bigger Than You and I." The soundtrack for The Preacher's Wife peaked at number three on Billboard, sold over five million copies, which made it, at that time, the most successful gospel record. Wow. Yeah. And some say it was unfairly categorized as gospel because there are gospel songs, but there's pop and there's other stuff too, but... Nonetheless, it held a title. What did Bobby do that year? Well, he got into another fight in Orlando, Florida. He was facing assault and battery charges. By February of 1997, Whitney had won multiple NAACP Image Awards, including Outstanding Album and Actress for The Preacher's Wife. Bobby went into litigation surrounding the bankruptcy of his studio, Bostown, which was headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where he made the majority of his records. It was a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and Whitney was actually pegged with floating the bill for $200,000, oh, what! which was allegedly equipment part of the studio that Bobby, quote, just couldn't pay for. Also bear in mind at this point, he's sort of circumventing child support cases. If you recall, he had three children with two different women prior to marrying Whitney, and he's sort of in and out dealing with that.
1: Wow, but he should have had so much money you think but he's going broke from from we're gonna, we're gonna find out from what. the um don't be cruel album which was a m- huge yeah. mammoth smash that sold millions and millions of copies the oh. one after that was very successful and money from touring and stuff and it's like he doesn't have 200 grand to pay for yeah equipment oh, that's wow what are you so, spending your money on
3: well we're gonna find out and it's one of those ah, pieces okay. where you can't fill a bathtub if you keep the drain open and that's exactly uh, what's sadly going to happen to the both of them 1997 i again. have
2: never heard that saying you ever heard that no yeah. i really okay but what if you plug it up with soap
3: well soap would be a temporary solution because the soap will break down but it's probably better than nothing you have a lot of soap just saying i, I have a lot of you soap. have a lot of soap <laughs> 1997 was another, again, peak for Whitney, and it would quickly turn into a valley. Now, this is where the downward spiral begins that really consumes the rest of her life. So from 1997 on, we're going to see things getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. The first case was actually in July of that year. While Whitney and Bobby were vacationing on a yacht in Europe, Whitney was brought to a local hospital with a cut on her cheek. Required several stitches whitney's claim and bobby's claim was that it occurred during a swimming accident however the crew of the yacht said that both whitney and bobby were on board at that time there was no way they could have been in the water and they had overheard arguments Mm. so we don't know again this is what the story says i'm going to give you what i found in the research you decide In October of that year, Whitney actually performed a live studio concert for HBO. And this is where the question started to come up, which would become all too pervasive in the years ahead, is Whitney high? Many people who witnessed this live concert said that she was straining to sing her songs and looked like she was stoned. There was also rumors circulating about her relationship with Bobby, that domestically it was going off the rails. She actually had an infamous no-show on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I don't know if you remember this, but in the mid-90s, Rosie O'Donnell was going after Whitney left and right. Constantly. Well, the reason for that was she was actually scheduled to appear on the show. She bailed at the last minute, claiming she was sick. That might have been palatable, except for the fact that that same day, Whitney and Bobby both appeared on Letterman together. Yeah. Yeah. So Rosie just had a field day. The tabloids had a field day. And at this point, Whitney was scheduled to do that Cinderella remake, as we mentioned before. The problem was she was becoming a liability. According to the crew, Whitney missed a lot of the rehearsals and actually pushed the entire schedule back a full week, which for a television show is ridiculous. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Some attributed this to spending time with Bobby, they said she was doing a lot of quote late night partying. She looked quote terrible. In fact they were very concerned about her weight at this point. And again her voice was shot. Whitney started backing out of engagements more and more at the last minute one included a november concert in 1997 at rfk stadium of course tj you know that one two years later she actually bailed out at a show in california last minute and that led to a lawsuit of up to one hundred thousand dollars for damages all the while bobby is still having legal troubles he has another dui and battery charge which were two separate incidences from 1998 bobby was actually in and out of police custody he posted bail correction Whitney posted the bail somewhere in the ballpark of $15,000. Well,
1: what, a, what, what an absolute tragedy that you're getting to the point with her that she can't sing. Yeah. Because, you know, this, is, this, this very much harkens back to a couple of months ago when we did our Eddie Van Halen series. Mm-hmm. And there was the, the last show that they played with Sammy in that, that very ill-fated reunion in 05, yeah. where Eddie was so messed up, he could like, they, they had, the, the crew turned him down. Yeah. Where you couldn't, so that the crowd couldn't hear how badly he was playing. Ugh. And it's the same deal. It's like, you, you have somebody who has such a gift, who is such a, I mean, just otherworldly talent that most of us can only dream of. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, and, and probably in both cases i think we know why it's just they can't use it anymore and it's just yeah. it's really sad
3: yeah it, it's their it's their livelihood i know people talk about celebrities and athletes getting oh they get so much money they get this that and the other thing and then we see what happens when that one thing is taken from them
1: it's, yeah but if we get if you get to the point where like eddie couldn't play guitar and whitney can't sing <laughs> yeah i mean that's i mean it's sad. it's really sad
3: it is it is sad now you had mentioned tj that her previous album which was I'm Your Baby Tonight, sounded a little edgier, kind of a little harder, you know? Right, it did. And that's certainly going to continue in her fourth outing, which is My Love Is Your Love. Now, that album comes out in 1998. The backdrop of this album is everything I just covered. Bobby's legal troubles. It's fairly common knowledge that he is with other women. And, well, and I
1: I want to point, point something out. It's been eight years since she put a solo album out oh yeah it's been a while i mean now she did the bodyguard soundtrack and mm-hmm. and the the preacher's wife soundtrack and there were a couple of soundtracks but those are other people are contributing she hasn't put an album out since like 1990 at this point
3: yes that is correct wow and she's still working with Arista, which is at this point really la reed and babyface and this right. album is much edgier much edgier in fact, a lot of it, they say, is biographical of everything Whitney was going through. So I'm going to highlight one particular song where if you listen to the lyrics, it's really not hard to read between the lines. So this one is from My Love is Your Love from 1998. The one I selected is It's Not Right, But It's OK.
0: Fred and I you and your boys went out to eat.
2: we're back
3: and what i was saying while we were uh listening to the music there is i didn't really listen to this lyrics when the song first came out i was like oh it's a snappy kind of song you know like you said it's very much emblematic of its time but if you listen to those lyrics it's pretty on the nose
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I can it know. is yeah. and that
1: and the, and we were also noting as it played it's a, it's a really good song and i like it but um oh, yeah. there's not there's not a lot of notes she has to reach for there
3: correct yeah,
1: which yeah, apparently by this time was was becoming an issue. But
3: Absolutely. So she was still getting through the songs, but as LD pointed out, she's not hitting those high notes anymore. It's not, mm-hmm. I right. love you. It's not, I'm every woman. You know, we're, we're getting away from that. Uh, the album was labeled as inconsistent. So we mentioned the previous one was a disappointment. Well, this was even more of a disappointment. Actually, this album failed to hit top 10 in any country where it was released including those where she was traditionally successful, those in Europe and Australia and all those places, but didn't even hit top 10. She did have a, a song that crept up to number two on the U.S. charts, which is actually Heartbreak Hotel, not to be confused with the Elvis Presley song. It is
2: not the Elvis Presley song. Which was actually written by Mae Axton. Correct. So not yeah. the same
3: but not the same song. So by the time the year 2000 comes around, Whitney would sell over 110 million albums yeah so from 1985 to 2000 110 million her last performance of the decade and of the millennia would actually take place in april at the vh1 divas live special i don't know if any of you remember that but it included tina turner brandy mary j blige and of course a famous duet with shaka khan on i'm every woman so i don't know if you recalled that I wanted to bring up this performance in particular because this is sort of the last, you know, glean on Whitney's career. Yes, she does do some things following this, but really, as far as award show goes and stage presence and her ability to sing through all the songs, this is where it ends. From here on out, it's not going to be as prevalent. In fact, we wouldn't even be two weeks into the new millennia when, you guessed it, more legal troubles, but this time, it's not Bobby. Whitney Houston was scheduled to return from vacation in Hawaii. She was flying from Hawaii to San Francisco. The security officers inspecting her luggage found a Ziploc bag containing roughly 15 grams of marijuana. Now, according to law, they can't actually arrest you for that. That's not an arrestable offense. They could, however, issue you a fine and a citation. Whatever the case, Whitney wasn't going to wait around to find out. So she just leaves. She just yeah. gets she gets on the plane and gets out of Dodge, leaving an open warrant for her in the state of Hawaii. Which meant that she could no longer perform there, but it also brought out the media tenfold. She was just a lightning rod at this point. And this is where the big shift happens from them actually talking about her career and her talent to is she high? Is she on drugs? and a lot of jokes about marijuana which were, you know, on TV and Rosie O'Donnell was certainly pitching in on that a striking blow would take place in march of 2000 where whitney was actually scheduled to present her mentor and producer clive davis as the latest inductee to the rock and roll hall of fame she was a no show oh. yeah seriously she that's was a no-show. that's kind of
1: show that's kind of a big one to miss
3: yeah
2: yeah that's like missing your dad's funeral Jeez. oh
3: okay all right hold
2: hold
3: that one
1: her personal yeah that's that's really yeah. yeah, but that's – for a guy who – I mean, she made her own career. Her talent <laughs> did. Yeah. But, it, like, this, it's, if it's a big moment for Clive, mm-hmm. as much as he poured into her career, as much as yeah. he means to the music industry in general, and if he asked you to present him and he didn't show up
3: – Yeah.
1: Mm, mm, uh, that's bad.
3: its It's her professional and personal relationships are just – reaching a breaking point at this point and she has a massive falling out with robin crawford in 2000 but the biggest biggest debacle in my opinion is going to take place in march of 2000 for the academy awards the musical director was actually Bert baccarat who as we all know was working with deon warwick her cousin yep and he wanted to bring in top talent of course to perform songs from the nominated films which included deon warwick queen latifah Garth Brooks, remember that? Yes. Ray Charles, Isaac Hayes, and of course, Whitney Houston. The song, one of the songs selected for Whitney was Somewhere Over the Rainbow. A a song we all know fairly well, correct? Sure. Well, when Whitney arrived at the Shrine Auditorium, she was described as being, quote, out of it. She was pacing backstage, she was talking to herself, she was sweating profusely, and she was twitching. With her was her husband, Bobby Brown. During the initial warm-ups and rehearsals, Whitney's voice was cracking. She also couldn't find the melody to Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Wow. Some speculated she'd been out partying with Bobby the previous night. Burt Baccarat said, okay, okay, it's probably just nerves, you know, let's, let's try another song. Well, she botched that one too, only this time she was hopping around on the stage, not doing any of the lyrics, and just kind of darting around and moving erratically. Wow. So they go back to Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and she forgets the lyrics and starts singing another song altogether. Mm -hmm. At this point, Baccarat pulls the plug. It was allegedly Burt Baccarat himself who called the producers and had her escorted from the stage in tears. She was pulled from the performance. One of her fellow contemporaries who was there, Garth Brooks, actually issued the following statement when People Magazine asked him about this incident. This is what Garth said. I can only say this about Whitney. She came in, she rehearsed, and she did her best, but she was very sick, so we'll leave it at that. That was from Garth. So the rumors are flying like crazy at this point. She had another botched performance at the 25th anniversary party for Arista Records. People around her said she was drunk, possibly high, maybe both. And at this point, they were actually concerned for her safety because during that performance, she was, quote, falling over while on stage. So at this point, we're just gonna recap a little bit. She's completely botched the Oscar performance. In fact, she was asked to leave by the musical director. She's embarrassing herself at these parties for Arista Records. In fact, she did a very questionable version of My Love Is Your Love, which involved bringing her husband Bobby onto the stage who clearly didn't know the song. To this, Clive Davis simply responded with, I'm not gonna talk about personal matters. She proved tonight she can still soar. That was his comment. And again, the press only wants to know, is Whitney high? Is she drunk? And she's denying any and all allegations. This is the time when family and friends step in. They start actually staging a series of interventions. One of them was with the Queen of Soul herself, Aretha Franklin. Now, I don't know about you. Oh, wow. Aretha oh. asked me to stop doing anything. I would stop it. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I, I think you probably stop at that point. Yeah. yeah. You do. You stop. Both her mother, Sissy, and Robin Crawford confronted Whitney, along with the following. Dionne Warwick, Clive Davis, and Natalie Cole. Mm. If you remember, Natalie Cole had a battle with substances. Yes. Sure,
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah. She sure did.
3: And then she thought she could bring some advice. Unfortunately, none of it took. Even Whitney's own father, John, confronted her, because remember, he's still her manager at this point. So he knows A, her career is in danger, but more importantly my daughter is in danger. So he's stepping in. Now, keep in mind that there's a shakeup at this point with Arista Records. Whitney is reaching the end of her tenure there clive davis is actually asked to leave the company is purchased by bmg remember that wonderful music program they launched
2: oh my yeah, gosh i the, think i still they, owe the money they pay a penny mm-hmm.
1: and then the, right sep- se- 1758 cds for right. two and a half cents
3: yes correct well they apparently have an unofficial no executives over 60 policy hey that's illegal uh, yeah. Yeah, that's super legal. <laughs> so when they purchased Arista Records around 2000, Clive was unceremoniously asked to leave. Who the hell asks Clive Davis to stop producing stuff?
1: A dick. I-, I mean, come on. <laughs> who? Who? I, I, somebody who doesn't want to succeed. I would. I would presume. Jeez.
3: As an undeniable smokescreen tactic, Arista released a two-disc greatest hits record of Whitney Houston in 2000, which was really just to say, hey, let's sell stuff, let's sell stuff. It's kind of a cash-in-while-we-still-can policy. So who remembers what happened to Bobby Brown in 1996? Remember how he got into little trouble there? Well, in 2000, he gets in trouble again for violating the terms of that parole from that Atlanta incident, only this time, the judge says, no, 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 Whitney, we won't take your check for bail. Bobby's going to jail, good which he would for seventy-five days in Atlanta, Georgia. I did not. Now, I, I did not remember that. Yep. He, he violated the parole terms from his nineteen ninety-six violation, so the judge in Atlanta was like, "No, you can't get bail this time." No, no, no. So uh, I think we all forgot, and we need to ask the question: What's going on with their daughter at this point? Because think about all this happening. We haven't talked about Bobby Christina. Well, During these interventions, it was alleged that Sissy and John were hatching a plan to actually assume custody of Bobby Christina in fear that both parents would be declared unfit. They also tried to get Whitney to divorce Bobby. Sissy called him in an interview with the Star, this is a direct quote, the devil incarnate. Quote: Whitney never had these problems until she married that man. Now when you say
2: that man,
3: oh, oh wow.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, no, even when you don't want his Mm -hmm. name in your mouth, you know that's bad. It's bad. Yeah.
3: Sissy continues the quote. I warned her about him until I was blue in the face, but she doesn't listen. She loves him. What can I do? Well, needless to say, Whitney's substance abuse questions were still circling. While the couple was staying at a hotel in Greensboro, North Carolina with Bobby's other three children, again, from previous relationships, the hotel staff found the following evidence in their Hotel room. Cocaine bags, spoons, baking soda. You can do the math on that. Reports came from Whitney's neighbors in New Jersey that there were loud parties all the time. Her behavior was erratic. And then Uncle Rob came forth. First to the inquirer, but there is going to be something later that adds dimension to this. Uncle Rob was a gentleman who claimed to be a drug dealer for Whitney and Bobby. In a statement, he said that the couple paid up to $750,000 in the last 10 years.
1: So um, a three-day weekend for Waylon Jennings.
3: <laughs> they estimated the value. Or, or,
1: or Rick Jackson.
3: Yes, to be somewhere between $1,000 and $2,500 per week. Mm. Per week. So you had asked, where's the money going? I think we have an unfortunate. That, that,
1: that's <laughs> certainly a big, a big, a considerable chunk of it, yeah.
3: When it came time in that year to celebrate Whitney's father's birthday, John turns 80, Whitney and Bobby didn't show up until one o'clock in the morning, completely out of it. Yep. Some say what was happening was clear. Now, again, we don't know what was going on behind closed doors, but what we do know is that Whitney's health was clearly in decline, and there were multiple, shall we call them accounts... Of Bobby Brown overdosing and his entourage had a protocol for this. So those close to Bobby said that they sort of knew what to do when Bobby would have too much, including stripping him down and throwing him in a tub full of ice. A very infamous conflict happened on Christmas, or around Christmas of 2000. They were at a star-studded event at the Bahamas, which I believe reading his book michael jackson was i'm sorry michael j fox was in attendance with keith richards
2: no. <laughs> I, I really
3: think that's the case i'm mean, gonna <laughs> go back to that but there's
2: three people that have never been in attendance. yeah exactly
3: and may never in fact michael j fox's joke was uh keith richards looks better than i feel which is quite hilarious <laughs> um but back to whitney here while in this event at the bahamas bobby was talking to a singer named emma bunton
2: A uh, baby spice so baby
3: spice apparently Whitney did not feel comfortable with their discourse and believed Bobby was getting too friendly, so she confronted Bobby. An argument ensued, at which point Bobby grabbed Whitney by the throat in public. Mm. Whitney responded by grabbing an ashtray and hitting him over the head, causing him to go to the hospital and get several stitches. Now, both Bobby and Whitney are being shunned by the celebrity community. In fact, Magic Johnson personally threw Bobby Brown out of a party for him.
5: (laughs) Yes,
3: personally had him escorted out concert promoters were starting to pull back because they felt like she was unreliable there was no way they could book her they had no guarantee she was going to show up Whitney hadn't had a hit in years remember her last album was far from successful the money was going to other places and yet in a completely baffling move L.A. Reid who was at this point in charge of Arista Records gives Whitney a 100 million dollar contract that's right in 2000, Whitney signed a $100 million contract with an advance of 25 million with Arista Records.
0: Jeez.
3: The deal was allegedly inked in August, just after all these reports came in of Bobby and Whitney going to parties, Bobby was admitted to the emergency room for a cocaine overdose, and one insider after the fact actually claimed that they, were, they wired Whitney 32 million for the advance to save their house. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. It's getting bad. That same house was considered a drug den. Inside sources came out later to say that if you were part of the staff, you were actually trained to hide and dispose of drug paraphernalia. There was a procedure for this. Uh, Bobby was in and out of the hospital. It was not uncommon for 911 calls to be placed in the wee hours from that house, involving everything from disputes to uh, people getting sick. Um, It was just utterly, utterly crazy. In September of that year, there was a gala gala for one of Whitney's close friends, Michael Jackson, where she appeared and unfortunately would embarrass herself. Whitney's voice was completely shot, and the reports say she looked so thin it was scary. And at this point, both the New York Post and MTV had compiled pieces. MTV had a ready-to-go montage in the case of Whitney's death. They were basically keeping it prepped. Wow yeah because they were convinced she was destroying herself jeez oh boy but in 2002 to follow up on that contract with arista whitney started her next album but she brought in a new producer bobby brown
2: oh god why yeah
3: i'm sure that went well well it's interesting that you bring up the comment about eddie tj because one of the things during the sessions that bobby would say is oh the equipment's not working we're having trouble with this we're having trouble with that he later confessed it was because he didn't have the heart to tell her how bad she sounded. Mm. We're going to pull a track from that album, ladies and gentlemen. In July of 2002, the Just Whitney album was released. The first single off that album was, this is one word, mind you, and it's pretty pretty Jersey, What You Looking At. And that's the one we're going to mind. A departure from whitney's normal material i'd say tremendously so yeah. and as we were saying during the break there it's it's not a bad song no no it is it's not a bad song at all but mm-hmm. what,
1: what i was noting was almost anybody could deliver vocally what she does in that song mm-hmm. there's nothing special about the vocals what always shined about her and pop was that voice yeah and again it's a catchy little song i mean it's, it's a well-produced well-crafted little yeah. song but it's I mean, you know, LD, you could have sung that. Hey, <laughs> you well, could have. No, I mean that with 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 auto tuning and because none of us can really sing. You can sing the best of three of us, but. Oh,
6: thank but,
5: you.
1: But with a little with a little pitch correction and auto tuning and stuff, all, almost anybody could have done that. Well, again, if you look that, at the, that's not there's nothing about the thing that always shined about her was that voice that you would just you would just hear her rip one of those notes and you're like, oh yes, <laughs> oh the voice there it is, and it's just that's gone there's yeah. nothing there's nothing special vocally about that song even though it is a good song
3: yeah well when the album just whitney was released one critique sort of summed it up they called it just awful the song barely cracked the top 100 i think it came in at 97 or 98 which again is a Oof. big drop from where whitney normally lives on the charts this reviewer from the atlanta journal constitution said the biggest misstep on the album is the defensive what you looking at if the jittery bone-thin Houston still needs to ask what we're looking at, she obviously hasn't looked in the mirror lately. Yikes. Yeah. And in the last two years, more internal strife here, Whitney's now former manager, her father, was putting together a lawsuit. Now, you have to look at this from two angles. This seems like a very weird move we're gonna go a little bit deeper into what was going on with the business at this point. So bear in mind that Whitney sort of cut a lot of people out of her life. Uh, in fact, those still working for her, she allegedly cut their salaries in half overnight. Uh, John was sort of stepping out of the management role at this point due to creative differences. He brought in a partner named Kevin Skinner. Now here's the interesting about Kevin Skinner. We mentioned earlier that Uncle Rob came forward to the Inquirer initially, which seems like a very disreputable source. Kevin Skinner actually knew Uncle Rob because Kevin Skinner was a former drug dealer in Newark. Jeez. So he had a lot of dirt. I think it's the sort of what to need it to catch a thief, you need a thief sort of mentality. Now, instead of suing for a managerial cut, the interesting thing was John Houston was seeking all 100 million from the contract. Many wonder why. Well, some saw this as his attempt to secure Whitney's money or whatever she was going to have left for her daughter because part of the terms of the suit was that 20% be immediately entered into an escrow style trust. So some say he was actually looking out for Bobby Christina at this point. Again, the move to sue your own daughter, little strange, but also note at this point, John Hewson's health is starting to fade. Whitney was pulling away from her family professionally. As we mentioned earlier, she cut a lot of people. She reduced salaries. They actually took up residence in Buckhead, Georgia, which is a neighborhood outside Atlanta. At the Swiss Hotel, where, yeah, Bobby got arrested again. He gets caught for speeding, but this time he was caught with marijuana on his person. Okay, sorry, I'm
2: gonna go ahead and say, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, I mean, (sighs) we live in a state where it's legal, and like, we don't do it. But I'm just saying, seriously, like.
1: Who speeds while they're smoking a bone? I'm, I'm I know. Wouldn't that slow down? I mean, don't, don't those people normally
3: like struggle to reach the speed? I mean, yeah, I know you're driving behind
1: them, honking,
2: or or even getting in the car. So
3: yeah, and of course, 2002 is the year of the infamous interview with Diane Sawyer with the quote that will live in infamy: "Crack is whack." That comment was, of course, from Whitney herself, who sounded during the interview like she had laryngitis, and that was the claim that she stuck to. It's like the old, was it Colin Ray, that that's my story, I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Yep. Um, Sawyer asked Whitney, in a very blunt question, what is the biggest devil in your life? Whitney's response, myself. She continued to deny any and all rumors of addiction. This was while they were staying at the hotel, where... Uh, staff said that late night calls would come in requesting baking soda. Ah, uh, yeah.
1: They uh, just needed to brush their teeth.
3: Maybe they were making one of those volcanoes and science. School?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, with the vinegar and stuff. Yeah, I'm they sure that's know,
2: drug druggily, Forgive my ignorance, but yeah. why do you use baking soda? What what to
1: cut the cocaine? To cut the co- yeah. or or the can't you if you're and again I've I've never I've never touched the stuff, yeah. but is that not a, a how you cocaine and baking soda do you not cook that down to to crack like a rock too. yes I,
2: yeah i don't know i've heard of like baby laxatives which is supposed to which help are, you poop
1: if you're if you're cooking a rock doesn't that doesn't that entail cocaine and baking soda that's the implication yeah no. I think so. Yeah.
2: I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't. I seriously have no yeah, idea. It's big, sort of okay. a rock. Because like I heard, what was like the reason why we have to sign for a uh, Sudafed is because people were making meth with it. Yeah. Because you right. you
1: make meth out of Sudafed and match tips like, well, and borax well, yeah. and whatever mm-hmm. else they throw in there.
2: You know what? I'm not putting in my body that. cleaning <laughs> products.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Yeah, let me let me let me let me fire up some forty mule team
3: borax. Yeah, oh yeah, That's yeah, sounds yeah. healthy. So during this interview, both Bobby and Bobby Christina show up. It does little to promote a wholesome family image. Bobby is sweating profusely, claiming he quote came back from a job. Bobby Christina looks totally out of place. One of the things they remarked was the fact that she had really crooked teeth, which was a weird thing to note. But I sort of, I guess it implied she needed dental work or something.
2: Like you don't give. Yeah kids braces till they're like 14 15 and because you got to lose all how old is she now like uh this is 1990
3: this is 2002 so she was so born like
2: in
3: nine or ten yeah so nine or ten
1: yeah you, you, or
2: 10. do they even I, yeah i know nothing about drugs yeah. or babies so uh do babies still have their teeth at that point when they're nine
1: no you've lost i think you've lost
3: most of your baby teeth by that time yeah you have adult
1: teeth yeah but like
2: you don't you don't I don't really see nine-year-olds with braces, so how about give the kid a friggin' break? Yeah,
3: maybe they're coming down hard on her. I don't know. I, well, I,
1: what, they're, what they're doing is coming down hard on her parents. So I think the implication <laughs> yeah. there is there is some degree of neglect on your part because look at your kid's teeth. I think, I think that's, that's what the they're probably saying. Yeah. Uh,
3: one, one writer from the Miami Herald was quoted saying, Houston said she doesn't think of herself as a drug addict while appearing frail and strung out. She has lost touch with reality. And of course, there is the, do you do crack, which Diane Sawyer all but basically asked, and Whitney's response was, crack is whack. Look at me, I'm rich. I wouldn't do crack. That was what she said during the interview. You can watch it on YouTube. The next year, Bobby was arrested again. After a quite embarrassing performance at the AMAs, where he seemed drunk or high, he went out in a vehicle in Los Angeles, which is again violating parole terms, and he was put back in jail all this time john houston lies dying he's in his 80s her father john houston her father lies dying,
1: And, and former manager
3: and former manager right he's actually in the hospital more than out of it at this point he's working with an attorney named philip leviton on the lawsuit but he's quickly fading away and all this time whitney's seen about with bobby however on february 2nd 2003 john Houston passed away at the time of his death his wife sissy was there his son michael was there his daughter whitney was not john's final words were tell whitney i forgive her oh jeez yeah. oh, <laughs> whitney was wow. so shaken that she did not attend john's funeral we talked about this with david bowie i remember right and what's right and what's wrong and certainly we aren't one to say but the the sources say Whitney was just so distraught by the whole matter, she just she just couldn't handle it. Just couldn't do it. In May, Whitney was seen at the Bellagio Hotel on Las Ve- in Las Vegas with Bobby, and the claim was they were partying all night, and by 8 a.m., Whitney had emerged with a severe nosebleed. She went to the hospital and was totally taped up with one of those nose gauzes. Oh, gotcha. Or whatever it is. Um, of course, Bobby is reaping all the blame for everything Whitney is going through. Which sparked, as you put it, TJ, a very strange trip to Israel in 2003. So, we're going to look yeah. a little bit about where this, this, this
1: is. This is just about rock bottom right here. Yeah. Coming up so, right this second is about as rock bottom yeah. as it gets.
3: Now, the couple claimed it was a spiritual retreat with Bobby Christina. And for those of you who need the details on this, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed here. There is a small, if you can call it, town in the desert on the northern edge of the Red Sea that was basically claimed by this guy, Ben Ami, who I believe is from Chicago, if research is correct. Uh, he is one of the believers that there is a sect of African-Americans that descended directly from the 12 tribes of Israel, which are of course the descendants of Jacob, according to the Bible. Now his claim is that they have a right to this promised land and this town, Eilat, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, Ilot. forgive my pronunciation, is theirs and they stay there and they you know hold religious rituals they baptize people in the jordan river uh the israeli government for the record does not recognize this group and in fact they're viewing them sort of as squatters in the country of israel they don't take action against them but they don't really include them does that make sense it's a very odd arrangement yeah Uh, needless to say this was labeled as a spiritual retreat and i remember whitney gets baptized she comes out saying you know she's born again everything's born anew and she has a new life now but there was many thought a more insidious route to this plan. Some people believed that if Bobby continued to have legal troubles and there was the risk that they could lose Bobby Christina to her parents or whoever to claim custody, the plan was to flee the country entirely and set up shop in this place. That was the rumor. Mm. Yeah. So this this trip like you said, TJ is pretty much rock bottom because it was all over the news and it was everywhere and you had Whitney, you know saying about this whole spiritual retreat. there may have been a more uh, insidious plan. and and, In when, and I just I, re- I have this
1: image will the thrill, and you've, you've probably mm-hmm. saw it looked it up researching for this episode. there was a she walked off the plane and she just looked fried. Absolutely. She looked completely out of her mind. Um, and she's walking down like the steps onto the tarmac, and she throws her arm out and screams like "This is my land" mm-hmm. or something to that effect. And then but she just—I mean, I mean—I'm just being—I'm—I'm just—I'm going to say this. There's not a nice way to say it. She looked—she looked out of her mind completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she looked completely, completely baked on something.
2: She also got baptized in the River Jordan, correct? On that trip, correct? Correct. Okay.
1: Yeah, but so so. I, I don't know if this was—I don't know if it's when they were leaving or when they arrived. But there was, i just—I have this vivid picture in my mind of her coming down the steps of an airplane, and she just looks out of her mind, yeah, really, you know, and, and she screams and throws her arm out. This—this this is my land. Yeah, it's uh, effect. and it was just really—I was like, oh wow. Yeah,
3: it was. It was upon arrival, and she meets this guy Ben Ami, and it's all this stuff. And yeah, you can watch it. There's all the stuff available on YouTube. In 2003, Whitney releases what I think is the sign that a celebrity you have jumped the shark, a holiday album.
2: Yeah, yeah. there's
3: a holiday album.
2: Here's the thing, kid. People just need to stop making holiday albums. (laughs) All right. The reason why is because inevitably they will suck. Yeah. And they're just rehashes. Now, Elvis' Christmas
1: album was awesome. What's that? Elvis's Christmas album was awesome
2: no 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 that's fine up up until petty it was great because he did yeah. Christmas all over again Yes, yeah, he did. and I am fine with For that.
1: The, that was on the uh very special Christmas too I think wasn't it the uh, green one
2: I can't remember if it was very special Christmas but those all Christmas music should have stopped being made <laughs> after very special Christmas because the no stop I feel I feel like they're like I have made my point on this. Like we,
1: have I, you, Christmas. you are not a fan of Christmas albums. I think yeah. we've established that definitely. Um, I'm, not
2: a, I'm not a fan of Christmas music. I'm not a fan of Christmas decorations. Bah humbug! I hate, I, I hate Christmas. I, just
1: I, I recall going back several months now. We're we're ripping along and, and talking about the career of Joe Diffie, and we get it to, and then he made a Christmas album, and
2: you're like, oh God, there it is. <laughs> It is oh like, it sucks i hate that it's 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 seriously like the things i hate the most are phil collins and christmas music if <laughs> so phil collins yeah. did a christmas album my head would explode <laughs> that's like my personal hell uh, me sitting in a completely white room with no sweet tea li- having to listen to phil collins sing about christmas uh, i hate how this. do you really it feel everything. so
3: Needless to say, uh, the One Wish Holiday album was panned. Rolling Stone gave it zero stars, which oh, I thought wow. they it give it something. Yeah, I've seen like half-star reviews and one-star reviews. They gave it zero. I've, zero. I've never seen a zero-star
1: review in Rolling yeah. Stone. That is,
3: zero-star, yep. Uh, John Parles of the New York Times had a few bright spots on the album. He said, you know, it was a chance for Whitney to kind of just sing and sing familiar songs, and he said one of the highlights was the inclusion of Bobby Christina, who Whitney brought in for a version of Little Drama Boy. So,
2: one of the bright spots. On, That's acceptable. Yeah. That's fine. Children doing it is okay. But when you are a grown woman, no, you've had a storied career at this point. Mm-hmm. Stop making your stupid Christmas albums.
3: Well, I hate to say this, but it's about to get worse. Not many people know this. she put
2: out an Easter album? No, she <laughs>
3: put out a reality show.
2: Oh. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't. Yeah. Sorry, that's kind of my bread and butter. I can't Yeah, but this show. uh, Yeah, I can't.
3: So not many people know this, but Whitney and Bobby were trying to actually put a movie together for some time, and there was a proposed film called Buffy and Charlie. The whole thing got scrapped because in 2004, Bobby Brown was brought up on battery charges, actually against his wife. Uh, They had a dispute at their Georgia home, where Bobby allegedly, allegedly I'm quoting here, hit Whitney in the face. Uh, people called the police, the police were dispatched to the residence, and Bobby was taken into custody. So that's the story. This didn't lead actually to the end of the marriage yet. It did lead, though, to uh, I, I hate talking about this being Bobby Brown. Ugh. Yep, this show premiered in July of 2005. I'm going to let Barry Guerin of The Hollywood Reporter do the talking because his review of the show summarizes, I think, everything I feel and perhaps many of you out there feel. Now, again, if you like the show, no, I'm going with it. You're just wrong. Let's go with what Barry Guerin says. Here is a direct quote. He called it, and I quote, the most disgusting and exorable series ever to ooze its way onto television. Is it the lionizing of a lowlife convicted of failing to pay child support for his out of wedlock kids, drunk driving, and cocaine related parole violations? Is it his insufferable ego? Is it his constant rude comments? Or is it just his disgusting persona? End quote
2: so how do they really yeah exactly what do you
3: think of the show well i will think that this is something that everyone's been waiting for in september of 2006 after 14 years of marriage whitney files for legal separation from bobby brown 14 years we all talked about things bobby did uh there was the affair and here i i had the name jotted down tj a lady named kareen steffens who allegedly was quite prevalent in this throughout the marriage The full details, I don't have all the information, but her name did come up. Whitney also demanded full custody of their daughter, Bobby Christina. The divorce would take nearly one year to finalize. Now, when this was happening, everyone seemed to think Whitney was turning a corner. One of the first things she did was actually go back to Clive Davis and mend that fence. She actually appeared with him at the Ella Awards in 2006. She started booking shows in 2007-2008 on a comeback tour and committed a completely, I think, a trope of a rock star mistake. At a show in Tobago, she exclaimed, I love you, Trinidad! Oh. Yeah. mm. Yeah. Her vocal problems were continuing. She realized during some performances, often midway, that she just couldn't hit the notes she used to hit. Songs like I Will Always Love You and I'm Every Woman she was struggling, and again, this is in 2006, which by the end of that year saw the release of a DVD set, 1973 to 2005: The Best of Manfred man's Earth Band. <laughs> and there so it is, there you ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> our federally mandated Manfred man's Earth Band reference <laughs> of the podcast has been
2: satisfied. Oh, you're getting better it at is that. It's, yeah. it's, going yeah, it's going
1: well thank you yeah, i just i, I want to make that last part as sketchy as i can every
2: <laughs> yeah you're getting really creepy Are uh, you sure thank we'll you
1: not? hey thanks I, hey thanks i've been trying
2: i, I, I gotta
3: admit i was thinking about leaving a reference out because we did like four in the last
2: episode technically it was three i know we how did many. I, I know how many earhorns i put in
3: but uh there it is the episode the reference to man for man's earth man because i largely wanted to put it here so later it just has no place trust me yeah um the family pressures were becoming more prevalent for whitney she and bobby were divorcing but bobby christina as often happens in divorce was a casualty of the separation it was alleged that she was going out with her friends and drinking heavily partying a lot she actually suffered a complete psychotic break in february of 2008 she was admitted to psychiatric care and it was alleged that she made a suicide attempt.
1: And she's 15 at this point.
3: 15 years old, yeah. Oh
1: man. Wow.
3: Uh Whitney would team up with Clive Davis for one last hurrah. Very similar to her first album, Whitney Houston. This one would be in production for a full 2 years. And the end result was I Look to You davis picked up right where they left off he surrounded her with top talent from his then label j records because remember he got ousted from arista on complete bs in my opinion and clive went on to bring in some artists maybe you've heard of them alicia keys
2: oh yeah acon
3: clive ever falling up it seems
2: i mean Um, so like monica and rod stewart liza minnelli Mm
3: -hmm. other talents he brought in yeah just a few names
2: are those do you think those folks are ever gonna make it I don't know that, that luther vandross guy you think he's gonna nah, nah. pass this time manelli's not going anywhere yeah, rod gonna, stewart she's geez. gonna try to turn on a lamp
3: so again clive is surrounding her with the best and just i wanted to inject this right now clive davis at the time of this recording is still with us but unfortunately he's suffering from bell's palsy He is 89 years old and allegedly also suffering from dementia
1: oh geez. Mm, gosh
3: he'll still, still hanging on at the time of this recording Uh, Production of the album, as I said, started in 2007. The album would be released in 2009, so it was a similar approach. Make the appearances, do the shows, start releasing singles, all part and parcel of the deal. Uh, February that year, 2007, she made a return to Davis's famed pre-Grammy party. Uh, Her colleague Akon, who worked with her on the record, called her voice, Still There, to which Houston responded with a smile, I never left. And that sort of became the theme of the duet they both did on that album called i look to you yeah, yeah they did a duet I love the first songs of the album now i'm using the term in quotes leaked leaked in august of 2009 eh, i look to you somehow got out eh, i didn't know my own strength also got out and million dollar bill one of the signature singles from the album was released just after that the album finally hit in august of 2009 it released on the last day of August, actually. It was noted with Whitney's vocal limitations, but the album was praised as being well produced, and it did reach number one on Billboard.
2: Oh wow! Yeah,
3: so she got back. That's great. She did. But
1: but but boy, but how jarring to hear Whitney Houston and vocal limitations.
3: Yeah, it's it's a little in the
1: same sentence. I mean, that's that's yeah.
3: Yeah. And sadly, that would continue in the ensuing world tour. Now the tour was labeled a success financially. They actually grossed 36 million on the tour. It would have been 38. Whitney had to back out of shows in Australia and New Zealand, and Australia wanted their $2 million back. I mean, I could see why. So, yeah. She also started bailing on concerts in Europe, and there were she appeared on stage uncomfortable and sweating. So once again, people are wondering: is she still hooked? Is she doing drugs? sadly it was confirmed that her daughter was bobby christina was photographed using cocaine the first appearance of this actually appeared in the inquiry and was suspect to much scrutiny but it was confirmed that bobby christina was admitted to rehab by her mother her mother checked her into rehab she was only 17 years old well i mean and
1: how how super healthy mentally for somebody to have uh, you know be 16 or 17 and have the press following them taking pictures yeah. of what they're Just- doing
2: You know, I've always like, this is even from the beginning of this podcast, when, you know, we had the original TJ, I think everybody knows my stance on the paparazzi and how much I hate them and how much I despise what they do. Mm -hmm. And if you remember the paparazzi, come at me. I don't even care. (laughs) They have killed people. They've damaged lives. They destroyed, you know, marriages and friendships and they are just the worst. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Look what look what happened! I'm not saying that a 15 year old should be doing cocaine, Mm. but I'm also saying maybe a grown I'm gonna say man, just specifically because most paparazzis most paparazzi are men. I was gonna say grown man probably shouldn't be either taking a photo of a 15 year old or (laughs) 17 17 year old, or probably shouldn't be buying a picture of a 17 year old off of someone. Yeah, it's creepy. Like it's creepy. That's 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 the way that you make. You're, you're living, you disgust me. So that's what I'm gonna say about that. So needless
3: to say, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard because you look at how the press treated the situation and wonder, could it have been different? You know, could it have been different? We don't, we'll never know. Uh, the rumors that Whitney was broke were also making the tabloids. In fact, there were alleged phone calls to friends where she was quote, begging for money. We all know that the record sales up to this point were not meeting projections. The tour was financially successful, so we don't really know. Nonetheless, Whitney planned to make an appearance in February 2012 with her friend Clive Davis, which takes us to the Beverly Hilton Hotel. On February 11th, Whitney had departed the gathering with Clive, fully prepared to get ready for the evening. No one really knows what happened. So what I'll share with you are the accounts that we could could locate. Around 3.25 PM, a member of Whitney Houston's staff went in to check on her. They had a key to the room. They opened the door. They noticed that the bathroom was, someone was in there. They first noticed that the door was locked. They forced their way into the bathroom and found Whitney Houston in the bathtub, unconscious. At 3.55 p.m., Whitney Elizabeth Houston was pronounced dead. Mm -hmm. The coroner's report said that she did not, in fact, die from drowning. That was the original suspicion. They did a toxicology report and it looks like that Whitney Houston took a dose of Xanax, alcohol, and a series of other prescription drugs. There were there was too little water in her lungs to actually kill her. So the implication is she took the substances, went into the tub, and actually died before the water would would take her. Got it. Whitney Houston was only forty-eight years old, which is just catastrophic. I mean, think about it. If you if she just had more time, she she was already getting back on track, you know?
5: Yeah.
2: She was getting there. She's And she's just six <sighs> years older than us.
3: Yeah. The initial response did come from the Houston family. Sissy was quoted as saying, we are devastated by the loss of our beloved Whitney. This is an unimaginable tragedy. We will miss her terribly. Bobby Brown was actually touring with New Edition at the time. He received word of the news, agreed to still go on stage, but broke down during his performance. Apparently he fell to the ground looked at the sky and just screamed, I love you, Whitney, and couldn't continue. Their daughter, Bobby Christina, suffered a complete breakdown. She screamed with the police because they wouldn't let her into the room where her mother was. They had to pull her back. They admitted her to Cedar Cyanide Hospital and immediately put her on suicide watch. Needless to say, the Grammys continued as they would, but they honored Whitney Houston. Whitney was transported by private plane from California the next day to her home state of New Jersey. Her final arrangements were handled by the Wingham Funeral Home in Newark, the same home that made preparations for her father, John. Whitney eschewed the burial of a celebrity style, say in Forest Lawn, and she was actually laid to rest in Fairfield Cemetery near Westfield Mm. next to her father. Sadly, in a matter of years, she would be joined at that same location by her daughter, Bobby Christina. Bobby suffered from pneumonia and was also found dead in a bathtub. She was 22 years old. Jesus. Man. The music world was at a loss. Friends and family devastated. Here are just a few of the comments that we found surrounding Whitney's departure. Barry Manilow saying, my heart goes out to her family, to Clive, and to everyone who knew her and loved this amazingly talented and beautiful artist. I will always love her. Her auntie Ree, who was still with us at this point, said, I just can't talk about it. It's so stunning and unbelievable. My heart goes out to Sissy, Bobby, Christina, her family, and Bobby. Musician, Can go I ahead. I just
2: say that it's very interesting that she separated her family and, and Bobby. Bobby. Yeah,
1: right.
3: Usher said, "R.I.P. Whitney Houston, a true icon of her time, gone too soon." Oprah Winfrey. Whitney was the voice. We got to hear a part of God every time she sang. The great Toni Braxton. My heart is weeping. RIP to a legendary diva and icon, Whitney Houston. Celine Dion said, when I started my career, I wanted to be just like her. Think about that for a minute. Oh, yeah. Think about that. Author Mark Bago, who was, uh, his book was actually one of the key pieces of research for the, this podcast you just heard, along with uh, Robin Crawford's book, A Song for You, My Life with Whitney Houston. Mark Bago sums his book up with one line, and it's, there will only be one Whitney Houston. The last quote I left is, of course, from Dolly Parton, who said at the time of Whitney's passing, I will always be grateful and in awe of the wonderful performance she did on my song. And I can truly say from the bottom of my heart, Whitney, I will always love you. We lost an icon when we lost Whitney Houston. And it's been tough for me to present this again. She's from my home state. She's buried half an hour from where I grew up, and we lost a tremendous talent. There's no way around it. So we'll leave you with some parting thoughts before we leave you with a final song from Whitney Houston, which I kind of had to figure out which one to play
2: because I just didn't know which one, but. Uh, it's not, it's not easy. No, it's not. It's, it's like picking your favorite child. There's so many beautiful things that she did through her, through her life. Yeah. I mean, I've always had Whitney Houston in my life. Mm-hmm. My mom would allow us to listen to Whitney Houston. You know, she was a style icon. She was beautiful. She had an incredible voice. She could take a song and make it transformative. And then to watch it, you know, kind of disintegrate over time was so incredibly sad. But the thing is during those last, what, like year, year and a half, Mm -hmm. as she was climbing back out, there is an old saying that says, Hollywood loves a comeback. Yeah, And that is so true. You just wanted to see her and her, you, you wanted to hear that, beautiful voice again see that face that had that sparkle in her eye and you know it was taken from us way 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 too soon yeah and she was in the position where she was working with clive davis again with alicia keys and i mean just this talent is unbelievable like you said she was climbing back out oh it is just it's it's heartbreaking it really is and the thing the thing about what she had in her system is something that you can do accidentally
3: sure sure
2: oh you're like oh i'll just take two Xanax and have a shot
1: mm-hmm.
2: you don't even think. just like, calm down Yeah. just calm down like I need to calm my nerves like that that I don't know how many how many Xanax she had in her system or you know the dosage but like you can actually take I've done this before is you take a pill and you you know like an hour later you're like did I take my pill sure yeah I was on antibiotics last week mm-hmm. and there were times where I'd be like did you remember if I took it this morning
5: yeah
2: and it just happens you just accidentally take it i'm just being devil's advocate here and, i feel like and you
3: also look at the drugs she was taking they're all for anxiety and depression and yes. i mean clearly what she was going through you know yeah yeah,
1: yeah. you just
3: kind of look at, at
1: there's a, a period of time from about 1985, i guess till about 1993 or 4 so it's a bit about it's about an eight year period where she was probably the most, one of the most recognizable human beings on the planet.
3: Easily. Yeah. And
1: I mean, she was, she had been a model, but then she is an absolutely adored, lauded singer who, who almost universally everybody loved, mm-hmm. um, just universally recognized as just an unbelievable talent. Hey, God looked at you and said, this one's a singer. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yep. Yep. Uh, th- that voice, there's just no other explanation for it. And then she was branching out into movies. And, y- you know, you-, you start in 85 with that first album, which, you know, was a big deal. And the second one was even bigger. And then we get to 93, and the Bodyguard soundtrack sold 45 million copies. That's insane. And that's, I, mean, I mean, really think about that. It, it outsold Saturday Night Fever. And, and, I mean, it's the biggest soundtrack ever. And so now she's in a big movie. She, she's on top of the world. Yeah. And, and then it was just gone. Yeah. yeah. And because for, for some reason in my mind's eye, she was a, a much bigger deal for a much longer time than she actually really was. Because yeah. she was there from the time I was 10, 11 years old, mm-hmm. and it felt like, oh, wow, she, she was just a, 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 an, a, an enormous star in every respect, music, TV, movies, my entire life. And you go back and look, and you're like, no, it's really about eight years. Yeah. And um, you just think, but look at the, the arc that she was on, the, the, like you said, the zenith that she reached. Mm-hmm. in about 1993 and then it, it it was just it i don't even know how to explain it just a crater yeah. like like this rapid descent into nothingness and you can only what if yeah. but you say gosh what if she had not done some of the things that she did yeah that sure. robbed her of her talent and made her unreliable and made her a liability to where people didn't want to book her and didn't you know it just you just think she she was such a consummate professional and so talented and then she got to the point where people are like, "And eh, she's probably not worth messing with anymore. Yeah, don't want to risk it. It's really,
3: I mean, it's incredibly
1: sad to, to see that kind of talent go to waste. Mm-hmm. But And that we'll never know if, if that comeback was there. Yeah, you know?
2: it's what could have been. It's just, uh.
1: Yeah, It's it'll always just be what could have been.
2: Yeah. All right, well, that'll wrap us up for this series mm-hmm. on Whitney Houston. Great
1: a great series, Will. You did a very good job, sir. Very Thank good, you. Thank very you.
3: good. Thanks for coming with me on that
1: one. I'll tell you, this one was, this brought back like good memories. Really, wait. Okay, this 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 particular episode did. So much. Yeah, <laughs> but but the episode the, the four before that because you just think she was a part of all of our childhoods. This is this was we we heard her playing in the background as we're growing up for you know for however long from the time you guys were six or seven years old. You remember the girl next door, the America's Sweetheart, the oh, this, this beautiful girl that sings, the, oh gosh, she's got such a, an amazing voice. And it, it actually reminded me, you guys, that the first song I ever called a radio station and requested was a Whitney Houston song.
3: Nice, <laughs> nice. And, and that's uh, that's really what I want our listeners to walk away with, is you have this catalog, you have her films, you have all these things that represent the best of Whitney Houston. And, and that's really where she lives in our eyes you know yeah
1: and let's and let's focus on that part
3: yeah and again you have so much at your disposal again all the albums the movies the you know just just indulge in it that's what i'm telling you i went back to it listened to it had a wonderful time that's for nostalgic reasons but there's no reason why someone new can't walk in and enjoy that for the same you know for maybe
2: different reasons but still enjoy it yeah well we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for the series on whitney houston like uh, tj said Excellent job. Uh, Next week, we'll be starting a series on Dusty Springfield, somebody who you might know their name, but might not know exactly how prolific they actually are. So uh, please join us. I will be at the helm for that. So uh, please join us next week where we will be talking about the lovely miss dusty springfield and uh so if you guys think we're doing a great job please uh head on over to patreon and tell us how much you love us by throwing us some coins uh you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven you can check us out on twitter at rock and roll lt our instagram is rock and roll heaven lt our facebook rock and roll heaven pod i'm still not saying our website (laughs) and you can email us at rock and roll heaven lt at gmail.com that's r-o-c-k-a-n-d-r-o-l-l H-E-A-V-E-N-L-T at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon Podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. Uh, from all of us here at uh, Rock and Roll Heaven, to all of you guys out there in Radio Land, this is LD, signing off. So, TJ, T-T-J, you going to say goodbye? Uh, bye, everybody.
3: <laughs> and so, in the spirit of what we said of celebrating Whitney for the best of Whitney, I say we go back to that era The song i'm going to close out with is one from the whitney houston album the one that made such an impact and was used in a biopic about muhammad ali this one is by whitney houston it is the greatest love of all and i think i speak for the fans family and those close to whitney by saying we will always love you whitney thank you
0: believe the children are our future, teach them well and let them lead the way, show them all the beauty they possess inside, give them a sense, a pride to make it easier, let the children's laugh. searching for a hero people need someone to look up to i never found anyone who fulfilled my needs